Hey, this is Brian with Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard is located in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana. We worship on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about us, check us out on Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard Church, Instagram, at Mid-City Vineyard, and of course online, midcityvineyard.org. Over the last number of weeks, we've been in a, a super fun series entitled... The Weird Words and Odd Actions of Jesus of Nazareth. And we've been taking these uh, weeks one at a time to look at really obscure passages in Scripture where Jesus says something uh, completely ridiculous or does something that it just seems to make no sense. And we've been unpacking those things and kind of looking at the, the context, the historical context and the literary context and trying to understand what Jesus uh, may be saying or why he's doing certain things that he's doing in that uh, particular situation. And so this week we called this one Millstones and Mutilation from Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus uh, talks about caring for those at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak. The least, the children, the poor, those who are disregarded so much by society and how uh, we, as followers of Jesus, are actually called to really pursue and take care of all people. So let's head on over to the teaching. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for joining us, and much peace to you. So we're in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 9. Paper Bibles are right there if you would like uh, to grab a paper Bible. Otherwise, you might pull out your phone and you can follow along there. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 9. Leaving at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Wow. So let's pray. Uh, divine Creator, Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit, uh, tonight would you uh, just meet us once again where we are. Lord, may we hear your voice, may we recognize the things that you want to speak to us, may we be changed and challenged in ways uh, that you want to change and challenge us, may we be encouraged in places that we need encouragement, and uh, may we be spurred to greater action in those places where we have just been kind of uh, maintaining or, or, or uh, not really thriving at all. And so, Lord, tonight, 
through your scripture and through the power of your spirit. We, we ask you to, to move on us in this place. We welcome you. Amen. So tonight we're going to tear apart most of this passage, and then next week we're going to move and tear apart the end of it. Matter of fact, next week's teaching is called, uh, Jesus, What the Hell Are You Saying? And we're going to talk all about hell next week. And uh, it'll probably be different than anything you've ever been taught about hell in church. So it'll be fascinating. So imagine with me for a minute a world where those who are always kicked last for kickball on the playground grow, grow up to become the supervisors of all the jocks who were picked first every single day. Or maybe for a minute, imagine a world where the one who did not come from the right neighborhood yet finishes well in their university. But because they didn't come from the right neighborhood, they were passed over for scholarships, they were passed over for awards, they were passed over for opportunities, they were passed over for the inner circles. But one day they eventually become the president of the same university that mistreated them. Or maybe perhaps you can imagine a world where the ones who are sleeping on the street under the bridge and who are ignored by the ones who drive past them in their Mercedes on their way to their mansions on St. Charles, in the blink of an eye, they switch places. Could you imagine a world for a minute where those who are powerless to control their own destinies because of the strong arm of those who keep them down, are called to actually replace the CEOs and the CFOs and the presidents of the boards and the bosses. Could you imagine these things actually taking place? And if you can, then you are on your way towards understanding and more fully engaging God's reality and God's future world. In verse uh, 1 of this passage, Matthew chapter 18, the first thing that it says is that leaving at that time, the disciples came and said, who then Jesus is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they were leaving somewhere. So if you go to the end of Matthew chapter 17, what you will find is that they had just been hanging out around the temple and the tax collector of the temple tax came up to Jesus and the disciples and said, hey, have you guys paid the temple tax? And Jesus goes into this long thing with his disciple Peter about uh, kings and, and children and, and all these different kinds of things. And Jesus is basically unpacking kind of a, uh, a way or a, a way that the world works when God is ruling as king. And so the disciples are listening to Jesus and they say, well, okay, if that's the case, Jesus, what, what you're saying, if that's true, then what... What then will be the pecking order in God's reality? And we understand pecking order, right? I mean, we, we get it. We, we understand that pecking order works. Like when you walk into a room, what do you do if you need to talk to somebody to get something done? You look for the person in charge. So if you, if you need to talk about the basketball team, you don't look for the assistant coach. You look for the head coach. If, if, you're, if you walk in and, and you need uh, something from a company, you don't look for the janitor, you look for the boss. You don't look for the secretary, you look for the board president. You don't look for the barista, 
When you want action at Starbucks, you look for the manager when you need something done. That's how pecking order works, and we understand it. And in this world, we need it. I mean, there's, there's got to be some order. There's got to be some flow. But ultimately, what we're looking for is we're looking for the ones who are in the positions of power. But the question is still for the disciples. They say, well, you keep telling us about this new reality. You call it the kingdom. You keep telling us about the way things are going to be. So in God's new world, what is the pecking order? That's what we are asking. And so Jesus says, I'm going to show you how this works. Cameron, come here, bud. And Jesus says, here's how it works. If you want to get in on the reality of the kingdom, if you want to experience life the way that I desire for you to experience, then I want you to become like, like this fella here. I want you to become like this guy. And everyone there would be thinking and saying, speaking of children, was that mine? Oh! <laughs> I want you to become like, like, like this, this little one. Come back, Zoe Moon. And this is good news for you, right? See, it's like you're, you're already in God's reality. You're already in God's, God's way of doing things. That's good for you. Yeah, that's good. Be like Cameron. Here, sit down. Thanks, Cameron. Here's why. Jesus, here's the thing. He understands pride and arrogance and prominence and position. These things are often the greatest enemies within us. And Jesus is saying, listen, unless you change, unless you turn around, unless you repent, unless you uh, continue to pursue, uh, unless you move or, or repent from continuing to pursue the wrong route to greatness, you will never experience the beauty and the reality of God's way of living because becoming great is the wrong track. The reason the disciples were asking is they're like, how do we keep moving up the ladder in God's way, in God's world? He says, trying to achieve greatness is the wrong track track. Why does he pick a child? It's fascinating because how, how, how beautiful was it when I asked Cameron just now, Cameron, come on up here. He just kind of was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Why? Because he's a child in a grown-up's world. If I would have asked Ryan, Ryan would have been like, uh, why? <laughs> what are you going to do? What, what, and Jesus isn't saying, I want you to take on the innocence of a child, so to speak, which is oftentimes how we, how we interpret this. He, he wasn't saying, I, I want you to take on like, um, this, this particular characteristic of like, kids don't do anything wrong, because kids do wrong things all the time. Amen. <laughs> Look at these guys. But he picks a child because, especially, especially in that culture, Children were considered, now kids, I'm talking about an ancient culture. Children were considered weak. They were undesirable, vulnerable. And today I would still suggest that in our society, children are still weaker. They are very vulnerable. 
So the child, when Jesus is saying this, the child represents a larger population. Listen so, so carefully, because this is so important. The child represents a larger population. The child represents the outcast. The child represents the vulnerable, the undesirables, the ignored, the disliked, the sick, the poor, the marginalized, the elderly, the refugee, the beggar. The child represents those at the bottom of the pecking order in society. This is what Jesus is saying. And he says, listen, if you want to get in on the kingdom, if you want to get in on the life of love and mercy and grace and kindness and forgiveness, if you want to get in on the life of peace and movement towards the goodness of life, then what I'm asking you to be a part of is turn your attention to the little people and to the little task. There are no small tasks that go unnoticed in God's reality, in God's kingdom. The child holds no position of authority, no place of prominence, no place of prestige. And Jesus says, come be like this. And then Jesus says in verse 5, he says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. See, the way up in the reality of God's kingdom is down. Down is the way up. It's the way God's reality is set up, and it sets the whole world the whole world's way of thinking on its head. It's upside down. It's inside out. And if you were to look through the entire scripture, through the, uh, through the gospel, uh, through, I'm sorry, through Genesis all the way to Revelation, you would see this very common thread that Jesus or that God is always for the disenfranchised. God is always for the ones at the bottom. God is always pulling them up, inviting them in. This is why he says such crazy things. We'll probably look at this one at one point. Like, it's very difficult for a rich man to engage in the life of God's reality and God's kingdom. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Another bizarre saying. And then Jesus goes crazy with the whole thing. So he, he talks about being like a child. He talks about the, the, the outcasts, the, the, the small people. But then he says this, if anyone causes one of these people to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jonah, that next slide? Oh, I got it. I didn't know you were. Check this out. This is a millstone, if you don't know. This was used for crushing corn. <laughs> so Jesus is saying to the people listening, it would be better to actually stick your head in that hole there and jump into the sea and just drown to death, it would be better. That would be better for you than to actually cause or to disregard the small people, the little people, those of no significance. Now, is Jesus telling everybody to just, if you're not going to do it, just go kill yourself? That's stupid, right? Jesus would not send us in that direction. No, Jesus is, and he's the master of hyperbole he's the master of exaggeration <laughs> and that's what Jesus is doing here but he's trying to get the point across he's saying listen it's better that you that you just you, you not even be a part of it than than to 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 ignore people he's like because otherwise you'll never get in on the life that I'm trying to invite you into and what he's saying here is life's not just about you this is not an individual sport 
Self-centered individualism is killing communities, but Jesus calls us to care for the other person. It's as though Jesus is placing like a ring of fire around the disenfranchised, a ring of fire around the poor, the insignificant, the sick, the elderly, the refugee, the whoever it might be. And it's as though Jesus is saying, and when you touch one of these people, it's as though you're touching the apple of God's eye. Like these are people that God smiles on and cares for deeply. And Jesus goes on to say, woe to the person who hurts one of these people. Woe to the individual who actually adds to the world's hurt, who actually adds to people's pain. It would be better for them to have a millstone around their neck and drown. Incredibly exaggerative. But Jesus wants us to realize here that the drive for power, the drive for prestige, the drive for esteem, it crushes lives. It crushes our lives. And then he goes on to say this thing about self-mutilation, which is even more bizarre to me. Woe to the world... Because such things that cause people to stumble. There are things that cause people to stumble. Woe to the world for those things. These things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Weird. Just weird. But here's the deal. Jesus is saying, listen, there's all kinds of stuff out there. There are all kinds of things that are distracting us, that are moving us away, that are pulling us out of God's world order. There are all kinds of things that are leading us down destructive pathways. There are all kinds of things that are leading us down towards conflict and not conflict resolution. There are all kinds of things that are leading us toward angst and anxiety. There are all kinds of things that are leading us towards hurting relationships. All these things. And these things, these things do happen. But when they happen, they keep us from experiencing the richness and the beauty of the life of peace and mercy and grace. And so Jesus is saying, I want you, if you want to experience more of God's reality, then be ruthless with these things. Be ruthless with these things. And don't put your garbage on other people. Find what's hurting you. Find what is diverting you. Find what, what, what is messing with you and with your life and with your faith and basically kill it, is what Jesus is saying. Because here's what happens. And this is, this is, this is true, as true as the day is long. He says, you're interconnected people. And the stuff that you do in your life, it impacts and it affects other people especially when you're in relationship with people. And so this is the part about causing others to stumble. He says, find those things in your life that mess with you and get rid of them because if you don't, you're going to take care of that? Because if you don't, it's going to pull other people into that web. It's going to pull others down. So think about it like this. If my drinking is out of hand, and it's hurting me. Listen, I can lie to myself all day long and say, it's only hurting me. But if it is hurting me, 
it will not be long before it begins to hurt others. If my addiction to pornography is only hurting me, and I say it's only hurting me, and then, first off, we, ne we don't even get to the place of it's hurting me until way down the road. For the longest time we live in denial, that's not hurting me. The drinking's not hurting me. The, the pornography's not hurting me, whatever it might be. But finally we reach the place and we realize, you know what, okay, maybe it is. It's, it's kind of distorting how I talk to my family or it's distorting how I, how I see people um, uh, when it comes to sexuality, whatever it might be. But if it's hurting me, it will not be long before it starts to creep into your conversation, into your words and how you treat and how you look at other people. If my cynicism and my arrogance is hurting me, it will not be long before it starts to hurt other people. If my greed and my need for power are hurting me, it will not be long before it starts to hurt other people and how I view other people and how I determine how I'm going to spend my time and my energy and these kinds of things. God's world is an upside-down, inside-out world. It's the kind of place where the last will be first and the first will be last. It's the kind of place where love and justice and mercy and grace and beauty are the rule of the day. And so St. Paul says it like this, I want to encourage you to consider others as better than yourselves. Even. But would you agree that that is not the way of the society in which we live in? It's always about finding one's way to the top. And when the people at the top begin to hold the people at the bottom down even more aggressively, this is the stuff that Jesus is talking about. And here's the thing. And this is where middle America gets really kind of confused. Because middle America, we're in like the top 2% of the entire world when it comes to poverty, <laughs> when it comes to having. Now, I would agree that compared to the, the top 1% or whatever, I, I have very little. But when I go to Zambia and when I've been to Ethiopia and when I spend time in Mexico, I quickly realize that I'm like a bazillionaire. And when we turn our gaze away from the child, from the sick, from the poor, from the elderly, from the refugee, from the immigrant, from the disenfranchised. When we, when we turn our gaze away from those, ultimately, I, I believe that Jesus is saying, you're turning your gaze away from me. So come back. Because this world that I'm creating is an upside down kind of world. And Jesus says, do not add to the hurts of the world. He doesn't really want anyone to cut their hand off or cut their foot off or be drowned by a millstone. Instead, Jesus would say, listen, this is a really big deal. This is a really big deal, and I want you to grab a hold of this. I want my people to be the kind of people that don't add pain or hurt to the world, but add love and mercy and beauty and grace. I want my people to be the kind of people that look others in the eye as though the other is better than you are. I want my people to be the kind of people that engage with all people, regardless of walks of life. 
I don't know if you're anything like me, but there have been times. I used to do this. Um, I don't do this anymore, but there were, there were so many times where I would pull up. And, and this, is, this is a very, 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 very simple example. But I'd pull up to the corner, and there'd be someone standing there with their sign. And I would do everything in my power to not make eye contact. Because if I make eye contact, it kind of puts you in that place of realizing, well, they're a person. <laughs> and especially if I don't have or don't want to give anything, then what do I do? So now I'm to a place where even if I have nothing to give, since I'm not a cash-carrying kind of person, I still will try to make eye contact. I'll still roll down my window, and sometimes I'll even say, hey, look, I don't have anything today, and I'm really sorry, but I can be thinking about you, and I can be praying for you. What's your name? You know, it's amazing because once you find out their name, they become more human. Like it's a person just like you're a person, just like Brian's a person. They, they have a story. They have a life. They're disenfranchised. They're on the, they're on the fritz. And I know, listen, I, I, I get the stories. Well, have you heard the stories about the people who aren't homeless and they park their car and they make like $30,000 a year asking for money on the corner? Well, anytime you're happy with $30,000 a year income for standing out seven days a week, 12 hours a day, but not, it doesn't matter. Well, they're going to go spend it on booze. Well, if they're alcoholics, they need the booze. I, 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 until they can get the help. I, my job, my responsibility is to be present to people, to have a heart that opens to people. Whether it's the homeless person or the elderly person or the sick person or whoever the disenfranchised are. So here was an idea I had. Um, super simple idea. Actually, uh, we you know we made uh, what do we call them, Sean? Uh, care kits. We made care kits or care bags quite some time ago, but uh, this is a little different. It, it, this just gives everyone in the room uh, an opportunity. Listen, I'm th I'm talking baby steps here, and here's why. How am I ever going to figure out how to respond to the illegal immigrant in my neighborhood? when I don't even know how to respond, or, or, or the refugee at the border, how am I gonna learn how to ever respond to those people in a truly Jesus-centered kingdom way if I can't even respond to the person who's on the corner of Jeff Davis and Canal every morning? I mean, if I can't even figure out how to make that movement, how do I, you know, so I'm kinda like, I'm all for baby steps. Like, how can we just begin to see people? How can we just begin to open our hearts a little bit more and figure out ways to engage people. And listen, listen, I'm not talking about passing laws and, and making bold political stands. I'm talking about how are you and I as followers of the resurrected Jesus who has already promised us that the first will be last and the last will be first. All I'm asking is how can we learn how to start making more solid forward movements towards people that our society considers to be the last because they are going to be the first that stuff made the red print it's gonna happen it is happening and if we're people who are supposed to be living the life of the future and the present should we not be starting to help and figure out ways that it starts to happen now
So here was a thought. And I know this is super simple and uh, might even seem really silly, but that's okay. I want us to do it anyway. I'd like for everybody to take a pair of socks tonight. Take a pair of socks with you. Just grab one pair. And the next time, tonight or tomorrow or Thursday, keep them in your car, and you're driving and you come across someone who is standing on some corner asking for something, may the Spirit of God give you the courage to roll down your window and to ask them their name and to say, listen, I, and you can put money with it if you want or you don't have to, but I don't have money today, but I do have this warm, fresh pair of socks. And I'd like to give these to you. What's your name? My name's John. John, this week while I'm about my business, is there anything in your life that I could pray for you for? Because I will. I will pray for you this week. And maybe, why don't you just see what the Holy Spirit does with that in that conversation, in your own heart, however it might be. It's a simple pair of socks, which I have learned goes a really long way, especially when it's cold. Maybe it's because I'm a sock person. I love a fresh pair of socks. But this is a good thing. So I'm going to invite everybody Take a pair of socks. Take a pair of socks, pass them around. Take a pair of socks, pass them around. Everybody gets a pair of socks, pass them around. Yeah, you just pass them around. And as we're passing around our pairs of socks, here, Ryan, just walk around with the bin. Give everybody a pair of socks. But here would be, here's the, here's the last part of that, that encouragement. What would it look like when you, every time you look at that pair of socks, what does it say to you? What does the Holy Spirit speak to you? Because in our own hearts, what keeps us? What keeps us from moving in the direction towards people? I want to close with this tonight. I, uh. One, when I find it, I want to close with this. I wrote this uh, a few years ago when thinking through some of, uh, actually thinking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain, the Beatitudes. And I call this one Margins. Why don't we uh, just allow this even to be our prayer together? The four-eyed fourth grader, the bookworm in the corner, the fat girl with green hair and the skinny boy with skin fair, picked last for kickball, first for chess club. These are the nerds, the geeks, the introverts. They wear hand-me-downs, they eat mac and cheese, they mind their manners, they always say please. They ride the pine never to play, holding and hoping that tomorrow is a different day. But their break does not come, the sun sets again, another day gone, and no one saw him. Redemption is yours. Invisible to the world around, hearts broken within, but they hear the sound of the ones crying out from the valley below. This isn't the end, and one day you'll know the beauty that's found in the depths of the soul, or the light will shine and the glory revealed. The heartache is gone and the tears are restored. It was hell while it lasted. 
a whole, so it's seen. But the story is now and no longer unseen, for redemption is yours. The ones in the margins rejected by all are the ones on the inside who learn to stand tall. Hearts full of fire, love for what's lost, the ones who could never afford the cost. To sit with the rich kids or the pack of the cool, the ones who know a world that is cruel. For the broken and busted, they learn all too well that the margins are where you can always tell. The make of a person is not what is seen, but ultimately what is hidden beneath. Redemption is yours. For the lovers of mercy, the ones fighting for grace, speaking for the empty, only to be spat in the face. The watery eyes are a deep abyss, the cries of their hearts reaching to the depths. They don't see color or race or left or right. They stand in the margins and they shine their light on the injustice of a world that is ruled by might. Of the takers and makers, the strong and elite, the privileged and high class, but never the meek. Humble and silent and strong in heart, they stand on the side and they play their part. They wait for the day when the bell will toll and the spirits are lifted at the call of the roll. When creation looks to the margins and all take a bow, the time has come. Your time is now. Redemption is yours. Lord, may we continue to grow and continue to press in to your words and to your life. Lord, may we continue to just uh, experience more of your reality here in the present in this time. And Lord, may we continue to be challenged by your spirit. Lord, it is a reality where the last will be first and the first will be last. So may we not so much strive to be first here and now, but look to see what you're doing, how you're moving, and how we might cooperate with you. And so church tonight as we go. May the Lord God bless you and keep you. May the Lord God cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May the Lord God give you eyes to see the hurt and the broken, those in need. And may the Spirit of God give you boldness and courage to cooperate in how you might participate with what God is already doing in that space and Pray all these things tonight in the name of God, the Father, creator of all things. In the name of Jesus, the cosmic Christ. In the name of the Holy Spirit, who breathes life into all of creation. Who breathes life into our very lungs. And everybody together said, Amen. Amen.